Okay, well, um, I heard from a number of people that they wouldn't be able to be here in person today, so I, I trust that uh, when I look up at the camera that there's people behind that camera. And, uh, and so I want to welcome you as well as the, the few that were in a position to be here this morning. And uh, I hope that uh, this works for you. I, I do, uh, you know, this, the intention of this was to be able to have a time of um, sharing some things and then a time of talking. So um, I'm planning to do that today. And, uh, and in different weeks, I'll be um, doing that differently. But today, it's designed for couples. So um, hopefully those at home can you know, split up into, I mean, just be together or, um, and be able to have some time to talk about the things that we talk about. But let's begin our time of prayer. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we are grateful to you for the gift of marriage and for the gift of your uh, blessing on our marriages. And we desire, dear Lord, for this uh, time to bring good fruit and be productive in the growth of our marriages and the deepening of our marriages. And we pray that you'd be here with us and guide our time and make it fruitful, dear Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, marriage is hard, and um, I know that it's not equally hard for everyone, but uh, it, in particular for Marianne and I, um, we've had a difficult time, um, and I think that is a common thing, and I tell you that because it seems to me that that uh, we've learned a lot the hard way in our marriage, and um, and therefore I expect that we're able to help others because we understand the hard things that happen and the difficult things that everybody goes through. Um, or many people go through in marriages, in their marriages. Um, we've been married for 45 years now, over that, 45 and a half. And uh, we've been together actually for over 50 years. We started uh, dating in high school and all through college and got married right out of college, basically. Um, and we we both came from families where our parents had pretty bad marriages. So neither of us had a good model for marriage as we were growing up. Um, not only that, but we're so different. It's just amazing. And I know that, I know that everybody, a lot of people say that, and I'm sure it's true for everybody, but... It's, it's just hard to imagine two people more different than Marianne and I, but I'm sure it's possible. But uh, we're very, very different from each other. And so obviously that adds difficulty in a marriage. Um, and when we got married, 
we were, I mean, when we got started dating, you know, I was 16. And I'd been a Christian for six months. And I wasn't anywhere near being mature enough to even be in a relationship, much less the one that, you know, was, ended up in marriage. And, and so it was a, a sort of a, a difficult way to start. And because when you start, you, you set precedence early in your, in your relationship. And then you have to outlive. If, these, if you start bad precedence, you have to outlive that stuff, which is harder than not, not starting that way in the first place. Okay, so... Um, and adding to all that, we're both proud and selfish sinners, just like everybody else. And so... Um, that obviously just makes being connected to another person a difficult thing. But by God's grace, I think we sort of turned a corner or got over the hump about 10 years ago. And um, certainly we have lots of um, issues and problems and struggles still in our marriage. But I would say that now we're working on our marriage in a Christian way. That's what's different. I feel like in the, in, when we were really having hard times, we weren't working on our marriage in a Christian way. We were, you know, having lots of tug-of-wars. We were frustrated. We were bitter. And, uh, but we weren't really able, at least consistently, to work on our marriages in a Christian way. And really that, for me, is one of the goals that I have for this class, is to help people, you know, we're not going to fix all the problems. It takes, it takes years, because problems come about because of things inside, and that doesn't just change like that usually. So. Um, but I hope that we can get to the point where we're working on our marriages in a Christian way. And, um, and so that's, that's what I really uh, have as my goal for, for this class. Um, now, because of our experience in this class, I'm sort of going to be assuming that you have real problems in your marriage. And I know that for some of you, that may not be true. And I don't want to, um, you know, sort of make you feel bad that you're not having deep struggles in your marriage at all. But even if that's, even if you're not, this story's not over yet. And you, um, you know, these, the things that you learn hopefully will, you know, could make a, a good marriage even better, or what is hopefully soon to be a good marriage, um, in the case of uh, Jordan and Emily. Um, but you know, the, you don't know. We don't know what's coming down the road, and things happen, and and they they test us and they try us, and it, it's um, so. Hopefully, these things can help us deal with things that, as they rise in the future even if they're not going on right now.
Okay, um, so what, does, what makes a Christian marriage different? The title of this class is Christian Marriage. What makes a Christian marriage different than a, a marriage between non-Christians? Um, you know, we might think, well, there's different understanding of marriage, and that's certainly true. We, you know, Christians have an understanding of marriage that a non-Christian can't have. There's different rules for a Christian marriage, and that's certainly true. But I think the biggest difference between a Christian marriage and a non-Christian marriage is that a Christian marriage has a redeemer. That's the biggest thing. Christian marriage has a third person who's a part of the relationship. And that person is an, a good and all-powerful friend of the marriage <clears throat> who created marriage, who brought the two people together, and who is there to help, to guide, to prosper, to bless, to humble to deepen, to enwisen, if that's a word. And, and so it's really important <clears throat> excuse me, that we realize that and, and begin to practice, to live our Christian marriages in a way that, that recognizes and accesses our Redeemer instead of just trying to trying to have a better relationship. Everybody who gets married, married wants to have a good marriage. But it's clear that humans don't have the ability on their own to make it work. And to have a successful relationship, the one the way it's supposed to be, we need a redeemer. And yet, so many live as though there is no redeemer, and that is the problem. So, in having this redeemer in our marriages, we have a helper, a helper who is the Lord of hearts. So he, he's got the power to change us. And he is, he has an agenda <clears throat> in our lives. That is, he has a, a wonderful and glorious ambition to change us into the image of Jesus. And so he has redemptive purposes for our lives and for our marriages. And so it is it makes all the difference in the world to recognize that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our sin patterns against one another, in the midst of the ways that your spouse may drive you crazy. And yes, we have the ability to drive each other crazy. 
that in the midst of all that, you have a Redeemer who is at work in, in your life and using the circumstances of your life, including your marriage, to get to things in our hearts that need to be addressed and need to be changed. There are many things that are easy to avoid, easier to avoid, you know, because they cause friction. There are subjects which are easier to not talk about. But our Lord, He doesn't, He's not, He's not all about peace. He's not all about coexistence without war. He's all about Christ-likeness. And, uh, and he's not here just to advocate for our pleasant, flowing, easy-flowing lives. That's not his goal. And that's one of the reasons why he puts us together. You know, when, when you have a spouse, you have, um, you know, it's, it's like going for a walk in a rose garden or pruning, pruning rose bushes in a loose weave sweater. You know, it's, it's, that's what being married is like. It's like you have these hooks all on you and the other person has thorns on them and they, you're constantly hooking each other. You're constantly, their, their um, personality and their issues are constantly exposing your vulnerabilities. And that's a good thing because God wants us to deal with those things instead of just pretending that, you know, there's, that everything's fine. When you're single, you can have terrible habits. You can have, be very undisciplined. You can be very selfish. You can live a proud life and not have no idea because there's not someone right there saying, do you realize what you're like? But usually it's not that sweet. <laughs> but, it's, but that's what is, is, being, is being communicated. So realizing that we have a Lord who's got an agenda and who's using the marriage and who has a good purpose for our marriage and um, one who's also able to help us overcome our own sinfulness help, help us to um, in our weakness you know become humble instead of respond to weakness by pride you know we all we all face our weakness and you can you can see that this isn't something in your life isn't being successful and you can hate that so much that you blame it on everybody else for instance and that's pride in, in your response. But, you know, obviously the purpose of God allowing failures in our lives is to cause us to be humble, 
to cause us to stop and say, I'm, I'm weak. I need the Lord's help. So the fact that we have a Redeemer makes all the difference in the world in our marriages. And that's really um, what I want us to, to focus on. Now, because we have a Redeemer in our marriages, that means that we should expect and pursue breakthroughs in our relationships. You know, when you have someone who's, you know, like it talks about the, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of sin. You know, in the world, you don't usually find a whole lot of people being convicted of their sin. You know, that whole idea of people realizing, oh man, what, what am I doing? What have I done? Every once in a while you see that in the world. But that should be something that in the Christian community we see all the time. Because our Lord is the one who's got power to convict. And so we ought to expect breakthroughs. And we ought to expect there to be conviction of sin. You know, all through the Bible, we see examples of this. And uh, we see times when, when God convicts someone and there's repentance. And that ought to be something that we expect from our own lives. Um, and that's hard. You know, it's humbling. But it's... It, it ought to be there. And if, you, if your relationship, if you could look back on your marriage and you can't really see any kind of a pattern of people, one, of the, one or the other or both, being convicted that they've handled something wrong or been jerks or whatever and repented before the other, that's not a healthy sign. Having a redeemer means that he's going to be at work. And this is the way he works. He works through his word convicting us of sin. And that conviction of sin isn't a, just a private thing. Especially in marriage. You know, it's, it's, uh, it goes beyond that. It's not enough. To just realize that you've been sinful and ask God's forgiveness. As you know, we're supposed to go to one another and apologize for ways that we have sinned against them. And, um, and again, because of pride, that's often a very difficult thing for us to do, but very important. And again, a litmus test of whether we have a healthy marriage or not. Um, and, but that's not going to happen. Breakthroughs, repentances, that's not going to happen unless we desire to be people who are growing 
who are changing, who are realizing our blind spots, who are listening to what the Lord is saying to us and wanting to live a life of being open to God and, and growing in his grace. So, if that's where it starts. That's where it starts. Desiring to, uh, to grow, to change. Desiring to become like Christ. You know, we'd like, we may be like the, we desire to be like Christ, but not become like Christ. Well, what's the difference? Well, we'd like for God to snap his fingers and make us like Christ, but the process of becoming like Christ is full of, you know, pain. And, and so we're not interested in that. You know, we want the kind of sanctification that we'll get when we die. When suddenly our sin falls away like, like a piece of clothing. And we're fully, we're made fully righteous. But in this life, that's not usually the way it works. God uses failures. He uses humiliations. He uses conviction. He uses tears of repentance. Now, if indeed we should expect and even desire and shoot, and shoot for breakthroughs because we have a Redeemer, that means that we should expect and be tolerant about difficulties, about log jams. You can't have a breakthrough unless you have a trouble, a log jam, a clog. You know, when you have a clogged sink or something like that, and then you somehow, or a clogged toilet, everybody has clogged toilets, and, you know, you put the effort in to, to break the log jam, and that's a good thing. But you'll never have breakthroughs if you don't have log jams, if you don't have clogs, if you don't have bottlenecks, if you don't have obstacles, if you don't have impasses between two people, you'll never have breakthroughs. And, and so not only should we expect those things because of sin, but we should expect those things because of the fact that we have a redeemer. We wouldn't need a redeemer if we didn't have these kind of tendencies to have this kind of stuff build up. So it's, we have to be able to accept present problems, present log jams, present impasses, instead of like, I can't live with this. It just, I mean, it's a good thing to desire to get rid of it. It's another thing to have a meltdown because there's a problem. Problems are what happen when two sinners try to work, live their lives together. And we have to be able to expect that and not be shocked when problems arise in our relationships. 
We have to, it's the same thing with parenting. If you expect righteousness out of your children, so that when they do something wrong, you hit the roof, you're not going to be a good parent. That's not the way kids are. They're sinners too. And if you're going to handle them in a Christ-like way, you have to not be stunned when they sin, when they lie, when they steal, when they hit each other, when they act disrespectful towards you. (laughs) They're sinners. Sinners sin. And when we are shocked, and when we act like we're outraged, almost always that's a result of us having a very shallow view of our own sin. You know, we think, well, I would never do that. Whenever we're shocked at somebody else, when they do it. And sometimes we haven't sinned enough. Sometimes we haven't seen our sin enough. And Jesus came to a class of people, the Pharisees. They thought they were righteous people. And boy, did he have a different perspective on who they were. Their very problem was they thought they were righteous. They didn't need a doctor because they think they're healthy. So in the same way, we can't be shocked by our spouse's sin. We can't be shocked by troubles that come up. We certainly can't be, can't allow ourselves to, to get to the point where we feel like our problems are unsolvable. I mean, who in the world can have hope if a Christian who believes in a sovereign, gracious God can't have hope? You know, we... we um, we work at something for a little while and it doesn't change. And so we conclude it's unchangeable. That's so wrong in the, as Christians. Just because it hasn't changed after you apply a few, little bit of effort, you have to remember that this problem is something not only about your spouse, it's also something about you. And even if it may look from your perspective like it's 100% their fault, and it may even be, that doesn't mean God hasn't allowed it to occur because there's something in you that he wants to deal with. And again, this can't surprise us. We have to make it so that we are expecting things to happen. Sin happens. We should get Christian bumper stickers. Sin happens. It does. And that's, that can't be the end of the story. We have a Redeemer. Okay. I'm going to um, ask you to go off now as couples. 
And um, I have four questions for you to talk about as a couple. Now, um, I'm not, I don't want you to be feel like you have to be rigid and legalistic about answering these questions. But um, on the other hand, I don't want Satan to um, prevent you from talking about some things that you really need to talk about because it's easier to talk about what happened in the car on the way here this morning or what we're going to do after church or this or that. So only divert from the path of these questions if you feel like there's something that's better, more constructive for your relationship to, to right now than to talk about these, okay? Don't stay here. Spread out around the room, go outside, whatever you need to do. Here, I have one for each person, so... Yeah, I'm going to tell the people on the camera what to do, but I, I don't have a way of uh, projecting it right now. I, I should have. I actually, I did send it to, I did email you, Jordan, with the questions, didn't I, this morning? Don't take a lot of time, but if, if that's possible, it would be helpful for the people at home. Okay, I'm, I'm going to read them to the camera, and then if they come up, they come up. Question number one, talk about what you've heard or thought about this morning, which is especially relevant to you. Second, is there something you need to ask forgiveness for? Go ahead and do so. Third, share something you're thankful for about the other. Four, pray together to your Redeemer about your lives and marriage. And the people at home, I think, can actually rewind and get those questions again if they need to.